So welcome once again to How to Pakistan. I've got Musharraf Zaidi with me and Ijaz Heather. We're continuing the new podcast from what we've been discussing just recently in our other podcast. I've, uh, we've just discussed public policy. We've discussed guns. We've discussed licensing. We've discussed how to change policing. So I just wanted to open with, you know, so you've been in the media for a long time, and I have a couple of questions on that. But one of the first ones I've often seen is that you've been put in a uniquely difficult situation. You write something, and I can imagine your uh, army constituency saying, sold us out. And then there's another constituency, army wala. So I mean, how do you, do you ever feel that, that you know, it's not always judged just on the basis of what you've written, but they read a background into what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, it happens all the time. I actually have uh, um, a very colorful CV uh, when it comes to that. Um, I have, of course, been uh, described as, uh, there's, a, there's a petition in the Supreme Court that describes me as a Mossad agent. Uh, this followed uh, uh, an open letter that I wrote to uh, General Pasha, then DGISI, following the death of Salim Shahzad. Yeah. Um, I have been, um, I've actually, the, the funniest, of course, is that I was described by, uh, by a doctor who lives somewhere in, in the U.S. and used to write for Daily Times, and uh, he, he actually gave that uh, article to Daily Times, and they said they, can't, they couldn't publish it, so he gave it to uh, Outlook India. And this entire article is about me, okay. <laughs> and uh, in which I've been described close to being a Lashkar Jhangvi activist. Right. You know, so it's the funniest. Um, so at various times I've been, um, you know, writing something in favor of the army, writing something against the army, and then uh, the, those who are close to the army think that you know I'm opposed to the army. And when I appreciate something that the army is doing, then of course a background is read into all of that. So this happens constantly. Um, it has, uh, you know, occasionally, initially, it used to rile me up because I thought that, uh, you know, the idea is that you want to have a debate. You don't want to kick the player. You want to kick the ball. Uh, and the article should be read on the basis of what argument I'm making. And it's perfectly fine. If someone disagrees with me without impugning motives to me or without being ad hominem, it's perfectly legit. You can uh, disagree. I mean, I am not the last word on anything. And I am ready to uh, be convinced if the other argument can convince me. But this entire idea of labeling people uh, has become so common, especially with the, the advent of social media uh, you know, the Twitter trolls and the rest of it's become yeah. very easy. There's the element of anonymity in it, and there's the element of distance in it. So you can be as insulting as, as you possibly want to be. Um, but I think I've developed a thick skin over, over the years. And I, I believe that, I believe that uh, you know, my, my argument has to be fair. The, and this whole thing about the ar argument being uh, objective, is somewhat uh, stretched because I don't think that we can really be objective. True. There, there are, uh, but what we need to strive uh, at is fairness. Uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, to be fair and balanced. To be fair and balanced. 
I also do not like to get into uh, uh, someone's uh, personality or personal uh, you know, uh, things. During the dharna period, there were lots of people who said, you know, uh, you guys never discuss Imran Khan's personal life. And I said, we don't have any reason to discuss Imran Khan's personal life. But what we can and we will legitimately do is to uh, talk about issues. Because that is what I'm supposed to do as an analyst, as a journalist. I have my preferences. I can also agitate certain points. But to do that, I will go out on the street holding a placard. If I'm in front of my computer, if I'm in front of the camera, it's not my job to either be taking sides with this or that, unless it's about an issue that I feel very strongly about. Then I will say, and to, to the extent of that issue, there's going to be my argument. You can say that there's an element of subjectivity, subjectivity in it, and, and that there can be another way of looking at it. Fine, you know, that's, uh, that's a fair argument. But if I believe that Fussy has just given me an argument on something that I have held forth on for a number of years, but never really understood this particular angle, I will be very happy to concede the point. I mean, I've got no problems with that. But what is really uh, uh, bad uh, is the fact that now people start by labeling you. Because it's very easy to label you and, and, and structure your, your worldview according to that label. Isn't it, isn't it natural, though? I mean, I, obviously, I don't think any sane person could disagree with the fact that, you know, we shouldn't be labeled. So in that, uh, you know, in that respect, fine. Yes, of course, nobody should be labeled. But everybody does get labeled. Uh, you know, uh, the fact is that human beings require labels as it's, it's a system of taxonomy. It's a classification system that helps people make sense of the world. Uh, and that Correct. people are not actually as privileged uh, across the board as other people. And so sometimes our systems of labeling will not reflect a rational, uh, you know, linear decision making. They will almost always reflect major and extreme selection biases, confirmation biases, uh, all sorts of things. I've, uh, you know, of course, not for as long as you, but. Fussy, I think one of the reasons Fussy asked this question is because Fussy deals with this all the time. No, all three of and, us, and, you know. I mean, Fussy is, is a writer. You are a writer. All of us deal with this. And I, I, I agree with you when, it, when you talk about the, the taxonomy of this and all of the fact that, which is why I said that, you know, this guy was, is going to label me because it kind of neatly structures his worldview about certain things. Yeah. Uh, as also students of uh, social sciences, we know that uh, you know, when, when I've got a set of facts and I say, OK, I'm going to apply this particular theoretical framework, I am also implying domain restriction to the extent of the application of a particular framework, mm. uh, because that may not just be the only way, only framework uh, uh, in and through which you know, one can look into that. I, I think the again, important parsimony, yeah. parsimony, I mean, again, one of the most important Yeah, but I think parsimony are, is easier when it's internal. I guess the, the thing that comes out of this for me is, you cannot possibly, in one sentence or a seven-second burst, 
Or explain, 140 characters. Or 140 characters. Explain mm -hmm. all the different viewpoints that you ha hold legitimate or hold dear or yeah. adhere to or apply. And so if you start playing to the gallery of, you know, what is person X going to say about me if I say this, you're basically locking yourself into, or painting yourself into a corner, locking yourself into a box, and instead of being uh, a public figure that expresses uh, one's views as they understand them best, we risk becoming public figures that are essentially rating whores, and we start chasing what people think about us. And I think one of the biggest problems globally that, that and we, you know, you gave the Fox News reference fair and balanced, <laughs> uh, which is clever, uh, as you always are, Fussy. But, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we forget is that it isn't the worldview that Fox News represents that's critical in the story of Fox News. It's the mode of production that has delivered Fox News that's actually critical. It is a view of the media as any other instrument of profit making and therefore is driven by ratings and therefore doesn't matter what the right thing is or the wrong thing is or whether Donald Trump was the wrong character and now is the right character. It matters what the ratings say and so you just keep chasing. That, 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 that is another major problem. We can talk about that. But problem. I actually but, want to ask a specific yeah. question on this. Is so when I watch your program, occasionally I'll see a very esoteric, you know, sort of topic, one that won't be covered by others, and it'll be a very interesting discussion. And I recently went through ratings of you know a number of other anchors who are really good and also try to do that, and I was shocked to see that you know you can actually get a zero rating, right? One of the principal problems of reporting on Balochistan is. Partly also that the people aren't that interested, you know, the people who are, you know, the urban elite consumers or the average consumers. But that's so, partly because of the exclusion of Baloch voices from our from our national discourse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, so my question to you is, you've persisted, right? Mm -hmm. What about the pressure? Somebody must come up and say like, "Bastige kafioge." Uh, I will be very honest. And Every I time he I does would, a show I, on education. I, 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 you know, when I did this show on education with you, I've you know done lots of shows on education. Uh, the previous day, uh, I did this program uh, on uh, nuclear weapons and how uh, some of those things that had that we thought was settled back in the 70s uh, are showing a resurgence. So I thought, you know, this is really amazing because. How do we link this up with some of the geostrategic changes that are happening in this region and Southern Asia, including the South China Sea and the rest of it? Um, I have persisted also because uh, I think I will give credit to uh, my management and my managing director because he has never once said to me, he's never brought up this issue of ratings with me. I have never bothered to look at my ratings. I don't know what my ratings are. Uh, they might just be below zero for all I care. But I don't think I could have done this if I were with some other TV channel. Right. Uh, but, and we can come back to this, this the, the structural problems uh, in this whole rating system. But it has, just, you've worked on... Uh, just to go back to uh, the previous uh, thing where you said that in 140 characters, your entire personality doesn't come through. Uh, I will actually invoke Sen's argument about multiple identities. I mean, I can, I can have multiple identities. And uh, for instance, 
I can uh, essentially on a particular day say, well, you know, the army needs to be strengthened further as far as its professionalism is concerned. But at the same time, I can say that I would like to see the Pakistan army weakened as much as we possibly can weaken it in terms of its approach to politics in Pakistan. Absolutely. Okay, now, I am one person who is giving, who's, who's approaching the Pakistan army on the one hand in terms of its professionalism, where I realize as a realist, as, as a student of international relations and military strategy that this is a force, it's a public good. This is, and we need to have a very strong army to, to, to you know, offset challenges to our security. But as a liberal Democrat, I also believe that the army's political role in this country has redounded neither to the army's advantage nor to the advantage of the society and state. Right. You know? But people, it's difficult for people to understand the nuance of an argument. Yeah. You know? That the same person can mount two different arguments on the basis of what, what, uh, what the approach he's taking in terms of how he's looking at this particular entity. So, but going back to the ratings thing, you know, if you just have one rating agency and you have something like 600 to 800 meters, technically what's happening is, and apparently, you know, I mean, I don't want to take names but uh, of other TV channels, but some of those rating scandals you also Absolutely, know about, yes. and you know they are on the they are known to the uh, to the public. I was actually uh, going to be a little bit uh, mischievous. Uh, I've never done that before, but I'm going to start because you know you take uh, advantage of situations. I was going to ask you whether you might like to comment because I know that you've worked uh, for Dawn uh, as an anchor. You've worked for Sama as an anchor. You've worked for, I believe. Uh, uh, Capital TV as an anchor, and I think there was... I am with Capital TV. Yeah, with, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I understand that. Yeah. But that also means that you have worked no, with No, so, let me, so let me make a distinction before you go any further. When I did a program for Dawn News, when it was an English language channel, uh, it, was, it was a gig in the sense that uh, I was actually the executive editor of Daily Times. I was a print person through and through. Uh, so I handled Daily Times and also I handled the Friday Times. And I used to do one program for them, which I did for a year and a quarter. Um, it was called The Alternative. Then uh, when I started Summer, that was also uh, just like a sideshow kind of a thing in the sense that I was still with the print. This is the first time, uh, Capital TV is the first time that I'm uh, away from the print directly in terms of any administrative or managerial or editorial position. And uh, I have, uh, so I do the prime time show, but I'm also the editor of National Security Affairs at Capital TV. So in terms of uh, uh, policy formulation on issues that require my attention in collaboration with the, with the management team, uh, that's also one of the functions. So I so just have a quick comment. Like I've also seen a certain evolution. Mm -hmm. So when you had your Dawn program, mm -hmm. and that time as an anchor, mm -hmm. I saw you very much still being a print person because you would yeah. also pontificate to a great degree in the yeah. question and answer. And now as I've seen you, you've really grown mm. into your own 
style mm. as a TV journalist who brings sort of some of the gravitas of print. But mm. I don't know if you would agree with that assessment. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I have, I have felt that myself. I, I, when I was doing a program for Dawn and also for a year and a half when I did uh, this program for Summer, it was called Siasiat. Some of those programs are still on YouTube. Um, I wasn't, my, my evolution uh, uh, towards becoming a television journalist kind of started with Summer. And the reason I enjoyed Summer more than I did Dawn News, even though as a print journalist, as someone who writes in, in English, uh, it's easier for me. Uh, yeah. uh, level of comfort is, is greater uh, when I'm writing in English or speaking in English. But Summer programming actually uh, allowed me to go back to my Urdu. And uh, I used to uh, speak very good Urdu, and I, uh, the entire credit goes to my, my paternal and maternal grandfathers, who made sure that I, I understand Urdu. I, they used to make me write takhti and all of that. Mm. So a lot of the vocabulary that had slipped into my wherever subconscious or unconscious began to come back. And so it was a great experience. But with capital television, because I was focusing on this, um, initially I was doing four programs, Monday through Thursday, uh, and later I started doing three, Friday through Sunday. Uh, so, so yeah, so in terms of also understanding some of the technicalities, which I didn't understand uh, previously, uh, field reporting or field programming, the use of the camera and the rest of it, how do you uh, connect the dots and all of that, uh, is something which I've acquired over the last two, two and a half years. So I, I, I totally agree with you that um, I still try, in terms of the gravitas, it's more like choosing the, the topics and the yeah. subjects and giving them a certain a, a treatment which is at a certain level of discourse, but at the same time understanding um, whether I'm successful in doing that is a separate debate. Sometimes I think I'm not successful, but in terms of understanding that I, this discourse uh, has also to be pitched at the level of the informed generalist. Uh, I think I have begun to understand that and also implement that much better than um, what perhaps I could do when I did that program for, for Dawn News. But that said, I think there was another element also uh, with, the, with the Dawn News program, which was that because it was the English language. Uh, I think I, I had a sense that, you know, if this, my program will only be watched by a specific number of people or, or a particular type of people, whether it's a civilian bureaucrat or the, the military guy or the more sort of educated uh, youngsters or policy makers or the diplomatic corps. So I think, but in, in Urdu, uh, I, I understand the fact that I have much greater reach uh, and therefore I have to make sure that somehow I can convey a message and communicate it. Um, but then I, as I said, I don't know how successful I am, but at least I am conscious of the fact that that is what I have to do. Just uh, also <laughs> another thing that, so when you were talking about holding two, say, positions that appear to be like very different, but they have different contexts and a different yeah. thrust to it. So one of the things that I'm wondering what your opinion is, and I'd also be very interested in Musharraf's, is my own gut feeling is 
even though it looks like the army's gone back to the barracks and whatever, but I see them as more powerful than ever in the civilian space mm -hmm. right now, especially in the control of the media narrative. Mm -hmm. it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, so there's so many things that you know people will mm -hmm. tell you off the record. I got a call from so-and-so. Yeah. This topic went off and whatever. So would you think that the assessment is partly correct that they are probably in some ways more powerful than they have been in some time. I, I also know that there's a popularity surge. Mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. because things went in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But generally, is it going a few steps too far? I would say, uh, and this is, <clears throat> excuse me, without prejudice to uh, uh, your, uh, your assertion that you think that they, they become more powerful. I think that that's, that's an important, but I'd say that they become much smarter. They have become much smarter because over the years, uh, other centers of power have emerged, or at least centers of influence have emerged, whether it is in the form of a, of a more confident judiciary. Even though I would say that the judiciary, since the departure of um, Chief Justice Iftikhar Chaudhary, has consciously tried to pull itself back from away from away uh, from ratings from ratings yeah. yeah and from and it does not really uh, like the judicialization of politics that had happened uh, nonetheless the judiciary has Jud a, a that's a great term if you just for a second sorry yeah. i loved it judicialization myself. i love that term when I you think said this it is, yeah. and for me you know uh, you know all of these opinions uh, of course it's it's interesting hearing this but uh, I, I mean, I've been quiet because it's fascinating just listening you listening to you talk about these various things. But what I enjoy the most about Ajaz is the the command over the language and the yeah. confidence with which that command is then asserted through his column. And also, even in Urdu, I have to say, Ajaz, uh, you know, I told you about my sort of journey with Urdu. I mean, it's yes. a, you know, and particularly since I started. And uh, one more thing in the previous podcast. Systemic stupidity. Yeah. yeah, that's one that I've heard before. Right. I hadn't heard judicialization of of, uh, of politics because most people would frame that as the politicization of the judiciary, yeah. which of course he hasn't done because if you do the uh, the the surgery on this, right? Uh, I was going to say post mortem, but it's actually very it's a very living phrase. What I find interesting about it is, of course. Everything is politicized. Well, you know, when people say, like on education, people say, Musharraf, don't you think we need to end the politicization of education? I say, actually, we're trying to increase it, but increase it in a different direction. Yeah. It's always been politicized because politicians yeah. use education as an instrument of extending patronage. Yeah. And so instead of extending the wrong kind of patronage through building new, yeah. shoddy new schools and hiring shoddy teachers, we want them to be concerned by catering to high it's test scores in math and science. And, and responding to demand that goes to legislation. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And so similarly, the politi politicization of the judiciary is a necessary byproduct of living in a democracy. The judiciaris judicialization of politics is exactly what uh, Chaudhary Iftikhar did. Yeah. Where do you, when do you, okay, so here's a question. And I think listeners would be interested in this, right? How do you come up with these turns of phrase? Okay. Can I we, mean, do you spend we, time on them, or is it just can flow? We, can we, because with me, when I come yeah, up with something like this, yeah. frankly speaking, there's not a lot of like deep thought. I, I which is why it's hit and well, miss. Well, sometimes you know, I, I write. So, uh, for instance, I came up with this term, theosalafis. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So, so I, I keep. That's a that's a great one yeah, because yeah. this is always the dilemma, right? Yeah. South Asia, may you have the Deobandis and the Barelvis. Yeah. In the rest of the world, you have Salafis, you know, in one part of the world, you have Wahhabis. And so how do you merge where things are actually, in fact, yeah. merging? Yeah. Deo Salafi is great. And who is, so who would be the principal sort of, you know, proponents of Deo Salafism in Pakistan? Well, the, the groups that you have uh, that you describe as terrorist groups, of course, they don't describe themselves as terrorist groups. Oh. They, they, they are essentially Deobandi. Sure. But they're 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 funding they're, the Salafi. They're, they're, <laughs> their politicization of their their theology is petro is petro is is is, yeah. is essentially Salafi. Petrofield, so yeah. they are the Dio Salafi thing because the Salafis technically are not Hanafis. Of course not. You yeah. know, but the Deobandis are. So yeah. so I coined this why term Dio Salafi. Yeah. It's an but, interesting. But can I just yeah. on this? Where do you place Jud and Hafiz Said? Because I think it's a real dilemma. Because he's not classical Deobandi by any stretch. No, he's not. They are Elihadis. They, they are declared Elihadis. Okay, so yeah. so then where do you? They're, they're not they are Salafi. Elihadis, and and so and they are not Salafis that sure. way. In, because and they're not they're not hardcore Barelvis by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, Elihadis possibly cannot be hardcore Barelvi or Deobandi anyway right. because this is a completely so, different different. Shall I say? Uh, you know, you can call it denomination. You can call, also call it a different genre altogether. No, so. but they are closer. <laughs> they are they are structurally <laughs> they are structurally closer to being Deobandi than they are Barelvi structurally because. Because it's what he did versus what he okay, said, because, right? Because I mean, Ali Hadith versus Ali Ali Sunnat is no, so, so in many LA, ways LA, also Ali Hadith in a not in really technical terms. Ali Hadith is different but, in Pakistan than it is uh, in, yes, in the Middle East as well. I think East, that's that's but, one yeah, of the bigger yeah, problems. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, but let's not get into uh, so that's a kind of quagmire. But uh, going can back, I, can I tell you why I ask? Yeah. I think it's a quagmire. Maybe we don't have to get into it today. I think that at the policy level, we will need to get into this quagmire no, because I, I, if I we agree. are not able to I, figure I out these structural moorings of these groups, yeah. we will not be able to figure no, out no, how to assert state authority over them. I go back to what we were discussing was because there was a thought, and I would like to complete that thought in terms of... You know, a lot of people are, are armies, come on this podcast uh, thinking they're going to get to... Con you know, well, I will complete try their my thoughts. Best. I will try my best. We've thought for a while to change the name to ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> ADHD Pakistan. Yeah. So, so, so. Ali Hadith. Anyway, it almost <laughs> fits. <laughs> ADHD. Ali Deobandi Hadith. Let's go back. So, so I was saying that the Supreme Court He's very is, is, now, is, now, is now very aware of what it needs to do as an institution. And I think this recent episode of uh, the Chief Justice writing a letter back to the government also indicates that. Uh, then you also have the civil society, you have the social media and all that. So, so what has actually happened is, just to put a bit of nuance on this, at one level, the army's predominance has declined. It is now more of a first among equals and therefore, it has to be smarter in terms of how it controls what it needs to and wants to control. And controlling that sphere is no more really about sending triple one brigade troops to climb walls and you know, capture the television station or the radio station and you know, certain buildings on the Constitution Avenue. It's more about how you manage perceptions. And those perceptions are now managed through handheld gizmos, 
through the laptops. And handheld anchors and columnists? Well, that too. Uh, through the organic enhancement, you'll be able to smell the farm <laughs> from your plate. <laughs> so through the through the medium of documentary it's not making, fed, it's grass fed. I know. <laughs> documentary making through the medium of filmmaking. Yeah. Lots of these young officers, and we're not just talking about the ISPR, lots of these mm. young serving officers are tech-savvy. Well, because they're, we have the first digitally native a, captains in the Pakistan Army now. Absolutely. Yeah. So they are on WhatsApp groups, mm. they are on, you know, whatever, Twitter and Facebook and the rest of it. And I have seen some of their conversations on WhatsApp. Yeah, I have the, too. I, the idea, it's not, it's not the, very the, uh, confidence-inspiring. Yeah. The idea is to present—it's terrifying because the level of intellect. Present the army as the organization that is disciplined, internally cohesive, uh, Spartan. But nobody's uh, allowed uh, to ask whether it's accountable. I mean, the prime minister is accountable. No, 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 Imran, okay, Imran yeah. Khan is accountable, but nobody, nobody's okay. allowed to ask. So, so, so the army—they they contrast the army's Spartan approach and. And the approach to sacrifice lives, and you know, they're, they're posting pictures of themselves and their comrades from these operational areas, and all of that is great. I mean, you know, as I speak, my brother is in an operational area. So it's not like, I mean, I, I, I also worry for him. But this no, no, is, we worry for is, them, we pray is, for them, is, we love yeah, them, absolutely. we, we, we appreciate is, their sacrifice. This is contrasted with the, the inefficient lazy, luxury-loving, corrupt uh, politicians that cannot deliver. And th this is subtle uh, perception management. Then they are also using bots. They're using bots that, you know, you, you say something and suddenly you will get like 500 responses to oh, it and so on. And so yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> this is, this is 500 responses of 500 different people who say the exact same thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and so, so many of them happen to be from one particular no, province. No, they're all from Balochistan. <laughs> no, no, just imagine, just imagine insult the, to injury. I swear. Imagine the the importance the army accords to perception management. That for the first time in the history of you have a you have a three star. Yeah. You have a three star. This was a brigadier position, is, by the way. This was a brigadier position. Ten years, and, and finally years it became ago. a two-star position. Yeah. Now it's a three-star position. And one needs to see whether this three-star position is a one-off thing or whether this is actually going to carry on like this because this Well, is if this is the trajectory, we're going to have a perception management percep army chief. Perception management is now as important to the army as a three-star commanding and operational corps, uh, which is great responsibility. And, and I must say, to the extent, I mean, I've got huge problems with the way they're managing perceptions, but to the extent of how this team at the Inter-Services Public Relations has done its work, I'm impressed. There are really a hundred times more professional and capable than the entire information group yeah. and the information ministry, which Absolutely. is a tragedy in and of itself. Yeah. But here's, uh, I think, you know, but, the, question the question I have is... is, is the, the legitimacy I, of their ends. Right, that's also the problem. Well, you have to trust the unki niyat safek, unki bo karapni, so you have to trust yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, that's essentially what's being asked of us. And I'm, Absolutely. Will, you know, here's what, during wartime, 
under a chief like Absolutely, Rahim Sharif, then it I'm works. willing to I'm yeah. willing to actually throw my hands up and say, you know what? Okay. Now's not the time. So that's what I said in December of 2014. It's what I said in February of 2015. It's what I said in April of 2015. It's what I said through the summer of 2015. It's what I said in the fall of 2015. It's what I said at the turn of the year when I said we've had a great year, and that of course that great year sort of declaration has been followed by among other things the Easter Day bombing in Lahore. And despite that, I continue to say that. At what point is is there a trigger point is there a needle breaking moment at which we say you know what we signed off on the military courts for two years expecting mm -hmm. reforms in our justice sector we've got zero we signed off on general bajwa having his run of play but there's been 12 movies now and nine or 10 of them are absolutely crap and they're not really changing the people's perception that we need to so change i.e. people like you and I who, who think about this yeah. they're changing the perception of people whose perception is already malleable I, I mean I, the ordinary I, I, Pakistani wasn't asking big yeah. questions about the army anyway so if so but in terms the, of an it's enterprise the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the ordinary Pakistani that matters you and I don't matter it's also about numbers. We matter enough that it's, we... It's also <laughs> about numbers. Sure, You know, sure. at the end of the day, it becomes very banal because how many people... It because, does. Ordinary Pakistanis aren't the, the ones binary, that need to go on BBC and CNN binary, to defend this country's actions. Yeah, We're not well, the ones... You know, they're not the ones that have to go to Kabul and represent but the Pakistani civil society viewpoint talking to Afghans who are tired of their country being treated like a punching bag. They're not the ones that have to go to conferences to India to face 5,000 hostile you, sort of... You know. choir. I mean, I, I understand your concern. I mean, this, this, this has been my concern too. But my point really is that the army has a certain uh, worldview, okay? My, you know, my problem with, with the army being in the driver's seat, and now they're, now they're smart enough not to be in the driver's seat, but they're smart enough to be the navigators. Because, they have because, control because of the, the GPS guy, mechanism, yeah, so precise, it doesn't yeah. matter who's in the driver's seat. My problem is that the army does not, for the most part, does not understand strategy, national strategy. They understand the military strategy. So here's and, and below that, the operational strategy. Okay, so here's the you question cannot, then. Is who understands national strategy? Like, uh, give me three tech, names. Tech. Just three Pakistani names. No, seriously, let's, mm -hmm. get, let's like yeah. roll up our sleeves. Okay. Give me three names. Somebody who understands national strategy in the way that you mean. <laughs> Well, let me just say that... Uh, He's not going to give us three names. Well, <laughs> let me... I, I'll, I'm, I'm just saying that if when I look at uh, the current Prime Minister, Nawaz Sharif, I realize, and I have been a vocal critic of his style of pursuing uh, normalization with India, uh, and not because I disagree with his approach in the sense that we need to normalize with India, but because of his effusive style of trying to do that, because interstate relations is hard-nosed pro. I think you need another word. There is nothing yeah. about Nawaz Sharif that is effusive. But. Okay. But here's the thing. One important thing that he understands, and this is, I don't think he understands it because he is a Red Khan or Meshaima or Walt or any of that, but simply because he's a businessman. And he understands that trade and investment with India is very important. And as a student of strategy, I do believe that one of the ways in which you can begin to go around the problems, because those problems cannot get resolved overnight or for a very long time to come, and yet you do need to have a mechanism which allows you to create your own interests 
across in India. And it's also a mechanism which allows you to handle a crisis or multiple crises, because there are going to be more crises, including you know, non-state actor attacks. If you're not talking, there is no mechanism. But if you are talking, there is a mechanism to deal with the crisis. And if you have gone it, if you've taken it a step We've further... We've gone into India, Pakistan. Give me, no, 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 forgive so, me, so forgive me for cutting you off. What I'm saying is that... Are you saying that Nawaz Sharif understands national strategy based on his view of needing to normalize with India? I think he does. I think he does. Name, and give me lots another of name. People, lots, of people, lots of people in the civilian enclave do. As Iqbal does, for instance. Even, even the People's Party. I mean, Hina Robani Khar, with whom you worked, Hina had a very clear perspective on how to deal with Afghanistan, how to do, deal with India, what to say to the United States. But the problem is that the army has a much greater share of, uh, of how to deal with, with these countries because this is army's core concerns. And because the army approaches it through military and operational strategies, the primary focus is how do you look at this from a security prism? And the subset of that is, if and when it happens, how do we deal with it through, in and through kinetic force? The army, and, and therefore, the problem that we have had is that the security policy, instead of being a subset of foreign policy, it's been the other way around. So the tail has been wagging the dog. It's the foreign policy that has become a subset of security well, You know, I often say, and people don't like it when I say this, that Pakistan is not unique. It is, it is uh, an exceptional uh, example of the tail wagging the dog when it comes mm -hmm. to civ mill, but it is definitely not unique. And no, not all countries needed to have a, 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 a Ziaul Haq and a General Musharraf and an AU. No, but that's not what I'm have. saying. No, I understand you're not, saying, not saying that. that. But I'm saying the, the tail wagging the dog is not principal contradiction. The principal contradiction is that the, the table that you've set by suggesting that national strategy is something that Nawaz Sharif and Hassan Iqbal and Hinar Abani Khar understand. I may or may not disagree with you or agree with you. Uh, that's less important. But the table you've set by saying that is that because they understand national strategy, that they should be in charge of national strategy. And yeah. to that extent, one can agree with you. Do they have the public space, legitimacy, and credibility to actually own it. Notwithstanding negative actions or adverse actions by the military, knowing and unknowing, witting and unwitting, do they, have they done enough mm -hmm. to earn the public space that they need to act effectively? No, how does one quantify that? I mean, the only way... Well, let's uh, look well, at... The only way of quantifying that is through the elections. Okay. No, there's better ways yeah. to quantify. Okay. In fact, that's a worse way of quantifying. Well, this is the constitutional way of quantifying it. No, now, on. here's the thing. When it comes to, when, and you can, you can do a referendum on this. When it comes to, for instance, trading with India or normalizing with India, and it's not just about the PMLN. It's also the PPP. It's also the PTI. It's also, it's also JUIF. JUIF. Every, okay. major, every okay. major political party okay. in the country wants to And do these it. political parties have their own constituencies and their constituents. Let's just do a, do a referendum on this. The, the one organization that throws a spanner in the works is not the people. It's not the people who do this. It's, it's the military. And the military but has the, a certain approach. And no, by the way, the by military, the way, when But you, the military uh, leverages a certain cred that it enjoys in the public domain that politicians don't for no, major it, national Musharraf, decisions. Musharraf, 
just because certain banners will suddenly appear out of nowhere by certain along organizations the, along yeah. the yeah. expressway or on a, a, by a, certain organizations yeah by yeah. certain organizations yeah. does not mean that these organizations reflect the sentiments of the people of pakistan no that it okay? doesn't but yeah. that they have the but space to I'm do saying, that what i'm saying is what i'm saying is that and i agree with you when you said that this dilemma is not peculiar to pakistan take the example of israel for instance okay israel is primarily predominantly a security state but then israel is a different kind of dog it's not the tail that is wagging a normal hi, dog hi. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a different kind of dog altogether right in the us also and and we shouldn't forget the fact that here's really, the cost really wait, 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 in, sorry. in in, in let me just interrupt you here's the cost terms, here's the cost of yeah. if you take the israeli trajectory because i think it's a fascinating one i'm so glad you brought it up in the last 15 years what used to be the hard right mm -hmm. of israeli politics is now the soft center not the hard center the soft center mm -hmm. that means that there are people who are calling those guys weaklings who were once called the hardest edge yeah. ehud barak couldn't even run a major ngo today yeah. in israel yeah right and there and ehud barak by the way is former idf like he's a He's yeah. a hard, no, he's a hardcore killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not some right. That's what's happening in Israeli politics now. Why is that important? Because our right, center, and left mm -hmm. are—they've been in a blender, mm -hmm. and we don't know what we're messing with. We think we're talking about the right when we talk about the Jamaat Islami, mm -hmm. and who knows if that really is. Oh yes, Jamaat Islami is not the right now. There you go. He and not we the think, right now. And we think that JUD. Which yeah. is supposedly not a political group yeah, yeah. is a not a political group and B is the center or the right. We don't know the when, the, the fireworks that we're playing with. Ijaz, we don't have the I, analytical tools I to assess. Yeah. When I interviewed Samuel Haq in Akora Khatak, this is about two and a half years ago. Yeah, this was yeah roughly about two and a half years. Were you yeah, served but, sandwiches and tea? Uh, well, I think I was. Uh, no, I actually had lunch there. Okay. You know, there's uh, no, French so, cheese so, in so, there. So, but anyway, yeah. yeah. So when I and that interview is must be somewhere on the internet. Yeah, during, so there were no during, sandwiches. During, 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 no during, sandwiches. During, well, there was. There was <laughs> I, I it's got easier to, on the second. It, yeah, it's yeah. easier on the second serving. <laughs> yeah. After you've had one sandwich, it's only the second one that you say, "Jazakallah, bro. I'm, I'm good." Yeah, I'm good. So, so I. आपको French cheese के बाद भी वो hint नहीं. नहीं वो मुझे मैं थोड़ा सा I got. तफतर. I got carried away with the more serious. That's your mistake, <laughs> and it's entirely my, your responsibility. My, 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 my Shame bad. on you. <laughs> my, my bad. My bad. So when I asked him, I said, "You know, today, you, you are a nobody in terms of influencing people in the way that, for instance, your father could do." Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I said, "You know, if if these groups." If they tell five students in your madrasa, which is adjacent to this house where we're sitting, mm -hmm. to come and bump you off, they will come and do that yeah. to you. So during the break, he said to me, he said, "Aap ko apni jaan ka to koi ehsas nahi hai, 
तो कम से कम मेरी जमात इस्लामी इज नो मोर द प्रीवियस जमात अमीर मुनवर हसन try to do what he did in order to make jamaat e islami relevant to this constituency that we are talking about which is a yeah. which is the further right of all these no and i find it parties. fascinating ajaz i think the the jamaat is in a real fix right now because it actually doesn't know where to go jamaat which is why if you if you notice no no you know what the the jamaat had a glorious few years Although during the ziyarah it's been a major boon no but he's a so that's yeah. so so there's several aspects to what the jamaat is going through or what you know the jamaat is putting itself through or frankly what the jamaat is putting young people who 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 are receptive to its message through and in in fact the country through the first is that ideologically the jamaat used to be a sect neutral organization its very roots are actually decidedly and explicitly sect neutral going all the way to shia sunni that the ahl tashi and 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 non ahl tashi were not discriminated against not, technically not discriminated technically, against yes. but technically that wasn't the case of course but i'm yeah. saying that technically that was not an issue yeah but it's Achha, not a then, denominational party like the, juif or juip jup or but the no, one no. group that the jamaat always had difficulty with and difficulty in the sense that when you saw a village fight between mm-hmm. two right wingers mm-hmm. i don't like to use this term mullah because it's yeah. become pejorative and to the people who are that mm-hmm. it's it's insulting so when you see a fight between two right wingers when we were growing up you know in the in the in the late 80s and the 90s uh assuming anyone has grown up but you know in in that era it would be between often times a jamati mm-hmm. and a barelvi and a lot of the the majority of blasphemy cases I, i don't know if you know that we've discussed this i think on your show as well the majority of blasphemy cases are muslim on muslim yeah. mm-hmm. and they are in fact enacted by barelvis on members of the jamaat in fact some of the stories in south punjab where people have been killed mm-hmm. that members of the jamaat have been killed for blasphemy but the, at the same time the transition the, time, the transition at, from no, no, that but at the same time jamaat itself or members of the jamaat and members of the ijt have trapped people and instituted cases against them i mean this this uh, this uh, uh, lecturer or whatever uh, assistant professor junaid in in multan essentially something which was started by the Jamaat. by the ijt boys you know so it's become because the ideological because the ideological moorings of these organizations have disappeared and they've been replaced by economic no, no, and sub-economic incentives it's, it's, you know the the the, the right wing space has been primarily captured by the by al qaeda and now daesh by the dio salfi uh, groups okay no but even that, further and, ahead and, than and, that, and right? so so for instance i mean a lot of the young jamaatis that were too hardcore actually rejected the, they they they're their incubation was in the jamaat but their their termination was in al qaeda mm, yeah. i mean they died in afghanistan yeah, because yeah. they had transitioned or evolved from yeah. being too angry and too violent for the jamaat to handle within the country and yeah. so there was a jet stream yeah. Yeah. well i don't know no the by drones or whatever like yeah, you know yeah. nato forces so i mean the yeah. point being that this this is an extremely dangerous area of public policy mm-hmm. that people aren't really trying to figure out we still have these lazy labels that that we use that uh, the pmln is center right baba the pmln was center right in 1991 mm-hmm. i mean one taste of power and you could remove the right right 
right away. Mm. In fact, the 2002 election produced this MMA government in, in KP, which was then called the Northwest Frontier Province, yeah. which was a much more appropriate name because it told us where it was. Where it was. <laughs> you know, we were United India. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. So, you know, we, we, have this, uh, we, have this, uh, we have this real methodological and analytical challenge which has serious implications for how we construct the debate about countering violent extremism. To me, what we've been doing is using these terms from, because there, a lot of the discussions are donor funded, mm -hmm. then we end up actually using their vocabulary and labeling the entire space with the labels from Steve, Stephen Cohen's Pakistan. I'm mm -hmm. not blaming Steve. I mean, I'm using him as an example of somebody who was very, very familiar with Pakistan in the late 80s and 90s, but who, you know, Pakistan has changed a lot. So, and so DC has changed what, a lot. And we're still using that, that vocabulary. So basically, mm. what we need to do, in fact, you know, again, it comes back to the thing that you need to structure your universe neatly. And therefore, you do need labeling. Yep. But the fact is that these parties and these groups at multiple times uh, have done different things. Sometimes they've done things that technically would not correspond with their denominational approach. For instance, for the Devandis to begin to support a Barelvi who decided to kill someone in cold blood uh, is something which denominationally does not make any sense. Sure. But if you were to begin to approach it in terms of the Devandi concern to keep that space captured, which they have captured through jihad, and not allow that space to go to the Barelvis. Through violence or through jihad? Through violence. Thank you. Through violence. Uh, they don't want that space to go. So for very tactical reasons, for very practical political reasons, they would come along and, and seem to be part of that, that mob or crowd which is celebrating the murder of someone by 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 a person who mercifully has uh, you know uh, got so i his think there's two elements uh, in addition to that 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 i think deserve i just want to add a quick question just i'm also wondering and this is just on the basis of fragmentary evidence but as the goalpost shifted where the right has become something else entirely mm -hmm. Is there also, there is also a desperate search to see how much further we can take it so that we can get relevant mm -hmm. again. But at the same time, like I was listening to uh, Maulana Fazl Rahman the other day, and he was talking about how their interest was saving the system. Mm -hmm. Something which like 15 years ago was about, we want to replace this system. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, is in a way, um, while it may not be something, but is there any evidence that you're finding that those parties that we used to see as the ones that rejected en masse the constitution, things like that, or mm -hmm. wanted at least to make it into a different beast altogether, are now also more invested in what was in with the more non-religious or the more mainstream parties. Is that happening I, at all? I think as far as uh, the JUI is concerned, uh, when it was JUI, and yeah. then of course JUI multiple factions, yeah. including Fazlur Rahman. I think JUI has always been, at one level, a political animal. Yeah, you know, 
And it knows how to and, milk the system. Yeah, and yeah. Fazlur Rahman's father, as well as Fazlur Rahman himself, and yeah. Fazlur Rahman's brothers, are of course people. I mean, they do the they do the uh, the religion part of it because that is where they draw their political strength from. But when it comes to playing politics or maximizing their gains yeah. in and through politics, that is where Fazlur Rahman is a hard nosed politician. He he's not going to. He's a secularist uh, when it comes to that. Yeah. No, absolutely. In fact, yeah. if you look at Jamiat-e Ulama, and he's not he's not shy of talking no, no, if, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you look at the Jamiat-e Ulama Hind in India, they are actually talking about safeguarding secularism uh, against the the excesses of the uh, the Sangh Parivar. So, so these people were always they they are basically politicians. Incidentally. Modudi how ironic! Also, how no. ironic it is that yeah. the Hindu extremism uh, prevalent in India mm. is generating Muslim right wingers to Embrace call secularism, for yeah. secularism, and because, Muslim because and Muslim right wing extremism only... in in Pakistan <laughs> is inspiring a rather more confused and sort of mealy mouthed yeah. uh, secularism no, from these, from these Pakistanis. Are precisely, these are precisely the subtleties. And you know, it kind of, I, I feel like the wheel has come full circle almost on this discussion because Fassi asked me about how I feel when I write about something and you know, different constituencies look at what I've said in different shades. It's precisely when you get into, when you take a pause and you say, well, you know, I've been using this or I've been approaching it this way, but let, let me take a pause and try and dig a little deeper into this. And you suddenly realize the paradoxes and ironies of certain things. And when you write about them and when you speak about them, uh, sometimes people, because people haven't thought about it like that, uh, some of them genuinely will not understand you, but there'll be lots of other people who will understand you and who will think that this is a dangerous argument because they don't really want people to understand this particular problem from this particular angle and so they will begin to you know brand you or whatever but i think we have arrived at a stage where while we need to structure our thoughts because that is the only way a parsimony is there occam's razor call it what you will even when you're writing an 800 word piece or a thousand word piece you can't throw everything in the kitchen sink into it so you have to do parsimony but the fact is that you are also to be alive to the multiple strands of a given problem or a, or a particular entity. Because if you don't look at it like that, it's, it'll become very difficult to understand. Now, look at Modudi, for instance. I mean, the famous Machi goat incident back in the, in the 50s. Um, Amin Aslai and uh, the others walked out of jamaat islami because they said that we need to have a social organization. This whole sort of political business and contesting elections is not the way to go about it. But Modudi was essentially a political animal. Hmm. And he said, no, this is how it's going to work. And, and so Jamaat-e-Islami was also a very political party. The other person who tried to experiment within the Jamaat was the late Kazi Hussain Ahmed. But his and experiments were decidedly more successful than Malana Madhudi's. But, but, but yes, absolutely. Successful Kazi, being, Kazi, being a very uh, sort of a subjective term. No, Kazi tried to do something. And I remember writing a couple of articles in the Friday Times at that time. Uh, he realized that, you know, you have a card-based party which, where entry and exit points are strictly monitored. 
so but in order to actually win you need to be a popular party so how do you become a popular party well he democratized it, the the essentialism of the jamaat so so he tried to democratize by actually so you know this whole pasaban phenomenon where they will regardless of whether this uh, particular village has voted for the ppp or it has voted for some other party if there is a social problem they are going to go there and they will agitate the issue and all of that and if you were well, not you remember, just pasban the pakistan the, islamic front and the and the whole which he did which exactly, is, which, which exactly. is the, so they used to do these laser shows and yep. there's like kazi aa gaya akhiyan udikdiyan no no they the used to have a bangla guy i i remember distinctly yeah. i have members of the family that are that are old sort of you know karachi university jamaatis mm-hmm. which is you enter in the ijt to belong mm-hmm. and then you systemically mm-hmm. become a scholar essentially because that's what they did they, i mean the a large portion of the jamaat was not militarized even back then there was it was about getting educated and you had to read maududi's tafsir and and i remember distinctly the utter disgust and contempt that many of the old school karachi walas had uh, jamaat walas had mm. with uh, with qazi uh, hussain ahmed's uh, approach and no, his, this because is, this because is, there was tolls at these no, 93 no, election absolutely. you remember the 93 no, election no, so, there was so, all these so you know the, yeah. i mean it was before like the by the way election. before imran khan made it cool to have like dj butt at jalsas qazi hussain ahmed made yes, it cool absolutely. with the with the tolls i was about to say these were the class bad and i said nahi maybe these were the passbar guys And who knows if qazi sahab had shaved and sort of you know done a couple of other things <laughs> what what he could have ended and up so, doing so uh, the late mia tufail uh the old guard under mia tufail was there just in an advisory thing because he was no more the amir but he created a certain kind of groundswell against this because they said ke ye to bida ho rahi hai ye to matlab ye kya ho raha hai ye matlab ye laser shows aur ye sara <laughs> but he got his opportunity but he got his opportunity when when because kazi that was like such a great yeah if you think about it laser show bachcha imagine getting kids today for a laser show yeah. <laughs> so, so, so kazi so moved out of igi and created this pakistan islamic yep. front yeah Pakistan Islamic Front is the is the is the father of the MMA by the way yeah but it, it's at the hustings its performance was like really really yeah but that's because they got played by that's because they got played so, by the genius so, by the genius of BB who no. basically decided that you know the way she was going to win that election is by sending large hordes of jialas to these things uh-huh. so because the toll was already there and you only need one beat for a jiala to show up so he has these big jalsas so kazi was going around the country kazi saab allah maghfirat kare marhum kazi saab and you know there was all these toll walas and at every jalsa he'd go to them and there'd be these big crowds crowds that he'd not seen before right because he was used to the same crowds that are showing up for siraj these days yeah. 1000 5000 yeah. 10000 but he'd go to places where they'd had like 500 people and there was like 10,000 people there yeah. and this was bb pressing the buttons right so sure. he began to believe nawaz sharif offered him i believe it was as many as 50 seats uncontested so like the lower seats was, for it was that many it wasn't that many seats but yes i've heard nawaz it was i've nawaz heard 25 i've heard 40 and i've heard 50 but yeah. the point being 
he was promised seats andrun lahore mein like hafiz yeah. salman but ki seat wada yeah. hua tha liyaqat uh, baloch yeah, seat there was these, some of these arrangements and and kazi yes. yeah. said you know what we don't need nawaz sharif in pmln or <laughs> there was no pmln there it was pml uh, we, because look at my jalsas yeah. so he basically said no so wo jo the, the, the center right wing yeah, yeah. yeah the center <laughs> right uh, the center right uh, sort of vote was actually divided between pif so, and uh, so mia gofal got his opportunity when after the elections when pif had like you know lousy performance so there was a shura uh, uh, session in which kazi tendered his resignation yeah, and he said that's that right. yeah yeah of course the shura for the failure of the election yeah of course the shura reelected him well also later, because kazi but, was a brilliant uh, tactician yeah. when it came but to staying on top that, of the jamaat but after that kazi decided that he's not going to get into this experiment anymore so instead of that they had shababe mili which was neither here nor there which was a more sort of hard line kind of uh, you know approach to but here's but here's that, where it gets serious that, that uh, experiment just, yeah. of trying to somehow popularize a cadre based party cadre based ideological party to somehow act as a as a as a force multiplier yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah was a very interesting experiment i think but know, it's, i would it's, have liked to see it succeed to see how it would have might have worked well, but, but it's had it some didn't. toxic externalities that i think you know again it's in my mind there's no doubt that elements of pasban and shabab ended up ended up with guns in their hands outside pakistan yeah yeah and, and, and pasban now i mean it's been years since i've heard anything yeah, i mean it's a, it's another down. shell it's like a shell company <laughs> it's there it's there for when you know you need to mobilize some young people yeah. and the reason that it still exists is that there's a certain romance that 40 year old jamaatis now associate with that era because that's when they joined and they used to have they a lot of fun and, yeah, yeah they yeah. cut their teeth on that yeah. so that i that's the only reason it exists the jamaat is going through this big existential challenge but it's not the jamaat alone it's the entire right wing and what i'd like to hear your views on ijaz as we start to sort of you know approach a close yeah. if if uh, fasif if that's okay yeah. <laughs> yeah um is we saw with the women's legislation that was proposed and some of it was enacted in in the punjab that there was a most fascinating coming together of shia sunni again deobandi barelvi salafi non salafi uh, hanafi non hanafi they all everybody everybody came together and they did it there was no prompt i'm pretty sure there was no military involvement certainly because the military is thinking differently these days on these kinds of issues it was an organic reaction of a fragmented and failed right wing that realizes and this is the key that realizes that that vent that they had available to them of letting the more excitable elements of the right wing pick up guns is no longer available that it will be existentially destructive for them to continue to allow that because frankly because of general ahil and 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 mm-hmm. zarbeaz been all of these things mm-hmm. and therefore we're going to have to reinitiate some political salience in this country and a women's issue is a good time to start is that a reasonable thesis in your mind i think um the religious political parties and groups uh i mean they have huge differences they've been killing each other uh and yet there are certain issues on which they are denominationally each by its own denomination is kind of agreed on and and frankly uh i believe that this kind of thing resonates not because they have lots of big numbers or anything this kind of thing resonates with the average joe because 
to be very honest, the average Joe in Pakistan is a misogynist. Uh, and, you know, when I say an average Joe, I'm not just simply talking about somebody on the street. I'm also talking about people who are fairly educated, who do respectable 9 to 5 jobs or 8 to 2 jobs. Uh, somehow, the idea that, uh, that a woman has to be respected or that she's supposed to have certain rights just simply is either beyond them or, or they, they just feel that, you know, they're... they're uh, Oddly the, enough, it also space. invokes a moral panic. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, this is surprising because, you know, I... So I, I, I don't think that... I mean, the, the back-end informant of all this is, is misogyny without question, but the back-end informant of uh, so much of our public discourse is misogynistic. I think what's really happening oh, here so is a structural take, consolidation. So, so, so if you do get an issue where you think that this is going to resonate with the public, you will make an issue out of it. And, and, and any political party, I mean, takes some other issue, not this. If, if the PPP thinks that it can get some credit out of it by agitating the issue, it'll do that. It's a political thing. At the end of the day, it's a political thing. And I think these religious parties will do this, and they will put it in, in supposedly religious garbs, because the average Joe, there's a corresponding streak in the average guy here when it comes to uh, the moment you begin to talk about women's rights and protection and the rest of it. I mean, can you imagine how can you even conceive of a law that protects a woman as being anti-Islamic? You talking about, and people came up with like, oh, this is going to just destroy the domestic structure. Now, if the man, if beats women up, getting up, beaten up is yeah. what's maintaining our domestic, domestic structures, domestic. we need to question our domestic we, structures. We, we, absolutely. It, uh, we, of, of course we agree on that. this domestic structure unravels. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so I think that deserves a fair and, and yeah. sober discussion. But Fussy, you were... Yeah, so I just wanted to ask one thing, and he asked me not to talk about guns again, but yeah. just one very quick thing. I swear, <laughs> I swear, it's a relevant point, is that, you know, in the last episode when we were talking about it, is like... You know, there's a certain beauty to target practice, clay and skeet. Yeah. It's there, it's great uh, fun. But, you know, I, I really detest hunting, right? I know you also don't hunt. Yeah. And one of the big things that you see very often sometimes is just the absolutely wanton amount of hunting that goes on. I mean, I see these pictures shared yeah. on social media. Some guy's got 80 ducks. Yeah. And... I mean, I, I thought we discussed so many things, but this was just one thing, and I don't want to really discuss it, but I just wanted to bring it up that it is not an automatic sanction. For... No, no, absolutely not. Now, as far as hunting is concerned, there's also an argument, and I, I uh, am not an expert in that, so I can't say that, you know, you hunt a, a certain species only to this extent in order for the species to somehow grow and all that. I don't want... But, but that's my, fine if that assessment uh, by, by, has been done. My, my personal thing is that I would not like to kill a living being, yeah. whether it's a bird, whether it's a you know, four-legged animal, Absolutely. whether it's a two-legged animal. Unless the two-legged animal is extremely desirous of you know, uh, wanting to sort of yeah. uh, go to kingdom come. Yeah. And for that, if he decides to attack me, then of, of course I have the right Absolutely. to defend. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I mean, this is a few months ago, we were at the range and we shot the, uh, <laughs> the weapons and all that. And after that, this guy comes and says, 
have got this uh, this air gun yeah. and uh, you want to try the air gun? It was a Diana German made, yeah. which is a great air gun. It's so a brilliant yeah, one. Why not? Yeah. So he said, "Yeah, googiya bati mi hai." So inko inko. Who are you, dude? Inko inko. Like just, I just want to also say is that you know of the new brand that surpassed them, Gamo. No, I don't. Gamo is amazing. Really? What I, the I, hell? You is have to look happening? at it. Okay. What, what is okay. happening right now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. So, what's so I, I was saying that usme kaha ki sir, yeah, googiya bati mi inko. मैं कहा यार गुगियों बेचारियों ने हमारा क्या किया कि हम उसको जो है ना छरे मारे मैं कहा अब ये एयरगन को ट्राई करना है यार ये तीस मीटर के ऊपर ये वो हम वो उसके जो छोटे वो जूस के जो डब्बे होते हैं मैंने कहा जूस के डब्बे रख के इसके ऊपर हम ट्राई करते हैं so the guys said you know you are really into weapons and all that and this and that and so kugi to log baad maine kaha yaar i don't want to kugi mujhe kya keh rahi hai ki main usko jo hai na chhare ja ke marna shuru kar do i like to try i like to shoot weapons i like to you know try my own marksmanship yeah. combat shooting also i yeah. do move and fire roll and fire and all yeah. sorts of funny things uh, i do but that's on a on a static target you know yeah. or a or a target that's moving but an inanimate target Absolutely. you know i i don't yeah. want to start going around and you know started So starting killing animals and birds yeah. and you know people that that's not the way I look at it. So these. sorry about that, Mushar, but I really wanted this head. No, it's hey, you you know things. Uh, I mean, I guess you love guns. You learn something new every day about people. And I people. don't like hunting. Yeah, that's even about, worse because about, then like the love for it's guns. It's about is, it's about smooching and caressing the guns. It's about <laughs> feeling them. It's about like you know. That is absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, the end of our show <laughs> because because beyond this, uh, nothing 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 good can happen. Uh, Fussy. So thank you so much, Ajaz. It's been a pleasure. I we've all learned a huge amount. And I'm glad the conversation, especially in this episode, went into some really interesting areas. Thank you, friends. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us uh, once again on on. Hey, great job, DJ. <laughs> 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 on that musical note, thank you very much. Mm-hmm.